you're well aware of the public ministry of Jesus, the public work he had to perform for us. We are aware that we are saved because Jesus died on the cross. We are aware because Paul taught us in the epistles that we are justified because he rose from the dead. We are aware that Jesus himself is the one that baptizes us with the Holy Spirit. You remember what John the Baptist said, I baptize you with water, but one is coming after me whose sandals I'm not worthy to buckle, and he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. We are aware that when we believed in Jesus, because we believed in Jesus, God granted us adoption papers, and we have been adopted into the family of God simply by believing in Jesus. And all of these things Jesus did out in the open, out in the light, very clear to be seen. It was all a public display, his work for us. I, I started to say, and I wrote in my notes, his ministry toward us, but that's, that's, that's too frivolous of a term. Really what Jesus did was he put in work on our behalf. He labored on our behalf, and the work he did for us was primarily public. And by now, you're somewhat aware of what he did in public, but there's another thing that he does in private, the private ministry of Jesus. And Hebrews 7.25 tells us about it. It's one of those little hidden facets of his character that if you ever think about it and you ever really understand it and you give your mind to it, it may make you fall in love with him all over again. The thing he does for us in private, Hebrews 7.25 says, he's able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. Everybody say this with me, to make intercession. That's Jesus' private ministry. No one sees him do it. That's Jesus' secret work for us. He makes intercession. Now, the work to make salvation available for us is already done. The work to make the Holy Spirit available to us, that work is already done. Jesus did a lot of work, you know. When he ascended up into the heavens... His father said, sit down at my right hand, rest, you earned it, you put in a lot of work, and Jesus could be resting, Jesus should be resting, and yet he's still busy, he's still working, he's still making something, he's making intercession for you every day. Why is that important? Jesus has already done everything necessary for us to live fruitful lives unto God. Once you are saved, once you are filled with the knowledge of the gospel of Jesus Christ and have faith in that and confess with your mouth and believe in your heart the Lord Jesus, once you have bowed your knee to the lordship and the will of God in your life, once you have been filled with the spirit, everything needed for you to live a godly life, everything needed for you to begin to produce the fruits of righteousness and the fruits of the spirit, everything needed has already been done. He did it all and yet those of us 
planted in the courts of the Lord, planted in his vineyard, called to bring forth fruit, are still unproductive. How is it that you know so much? You've been loved so well. You have such a perfect Savior, and you're still so unproductive. There's a danger in receiving salvation. There's a danger in receiving the knowledge that you've received. There's a danger in walking with the Lord as long as you've walked with him, and you still fail to produce fruit. You can quote the fruits of the Spirit. You've been in the church so long. The problem is you don't have any on your branches. And there's a danger in knowing it and not being it. Oh, I'm going to say that again. There's a danger in knowing it and not being it. Because if you know it and you choose not to be it, there's nothing else we can do to help you. If you know how to do right and yet choose to do wrong, there's nothing else we can. Like if you were ignorant and you were foolish and you just didn't know, that would be one thing. But what does God do with somebody who knows to do better and could do better, but just simply refuses to? We forget God has emotions. We forget God has a personality. We forget God has moods. We read the Bible as though God is this distant, far-off, high-sitting agent. We, we fail to realize the personality, the, the person of God. But in Luke 13, Jesus gives us a snapshot. He gives us a picture of how God feels about the unproductive. In Luke 13, verse 6, I invite your attention back there where we started he told a parable. He said, a certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it, and he found none. Then he said to the keeper of his vineyard, look, for three years, I've come seeking fruit on this fig tree and find none. Just cut it down. Why does it use up the ground? A couple of things I want you to notice out of this text. From verse 6, we find out the tree belonged to the owner, just like you belong to God. This was not a wild tree. This was not a random tree. This tree had been planted on purpose. You are not in the kingdom of God by accident. Okay, you were saved on purpose. God doesn't save anybody without saving them and having a purpose for them. This tree belonged to the owner of the vineyard. It was his tree. When you get saved, you don't just accept Jesus as Savior and not accept him as Master and Lord. And when you accept him as Master and Lord, your will, your plans, your design for your own life becomes secondary to what God's will, God's plan, God's purpose, and God's design is for your life. And when there's a disagreement between the two wills, you say, not my will but thine be done <clears throat> the tree belonged to the master and the master has a right to expect fruit from his tree it's his tree it was planted to produce fruit 
He has a right to come and collect the fruit from the tree he planted. And then the text also reveals from verse 7 that once a year, the owner of the tree comes by and does an inspection. Once a year, there's an inspection. How much fruit have you given me this year? Once a year, God does an inspection. How much fruit have you produced this year? How productive have you been? Or more aptly, perhaps, how unproductive have you been this year? And, and the master comes and he does an inspection. And then the next thing the text just squeezes out to us is that there was a built-in grace period. He said, I've come looking for fruit on this tree for the last three years. I've been turning my head over and just ignoring the fact that you've been unproductive. The soil around you is good. The climate is good. There's other trees in this vineyard and they're producing fruit. There's no excuse, but I left you alone the first year and the second year. And, and now it's the third year, the end of the third year. I've given you the grace and the time and the space to be productive. And there still ain't no fruit on the limbs. Cut it down. I'm sick of it. It's over. The, the reality is this just a bad tree. You know, sometimes you just get a bad tree. Okay. Sometimes you just get a bad apple. Sometimes you just get a bad flower. Sometimes you just get a bad peanut. You know, sometimes you just get a bad tree. And the master says, cut it down. It's been three years. I'm sick of it. Cut it down. It's, it's using up the nutrients in the soil. It's sucking up the blessing in the soil. I could put another tree here and get the same conditions, and it would give me productivity, and it would give me fruit. Cut the thing down. And the truth is, some of us, it, it's a hard truth, but it's the truth. Some of us, we just should have been cut down already. Some of us have been given all the opportunities in the world, and the truth is, you could continue giving us all the opportunities in the world, and we still wouldn't do nothing with it. Some of us, you know, I just need one more chance. You could give us a million more chances. We still wouldn't do nothing with it. Some of us in poverty, you know, it's not our circumstances. It's a mindset. You could give us a million dollars, and in five years, we would be right back in poverty. It doesn't matter how much you dump on us. There's just no better. It's just a bad tree. No better's coming. It's just a bad tree. No better lifestyle. No better prayer life. No better devotion life. No better service to the church. No better's coming. It's just a bad tree. I can see a bad tree when I look at one right in the face. I'm the owner of the field. I do trees for a living. And I know what I'm seeing. This, sir, is a bad tree. Cut it down. Schedule another counseling session for you and your crazy marriage. You are bound for the divorce court. Cut it down. Cut it down. And truth is, the master's right. 
the master's just. It's his tree to cut down if he wants to. That's what we forget about our lives. We get so mad with God when he takes someone. We get so angry with God when something doesn't work out like we want it to when the reality is you didn't start your own life. You aren't here by your own design. David said, it is he who has made us and not we ourselves. The earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof. The world and they that dwell therein. And, and the reality is in all that he's made and in all of the goodness, sometimes you just get a bad tree. So he says to the keeper, the keeper, the keeper, yeah, cut it down. I'm sick of it. I know this is hard for you to imagine, but sometimes God just gets sick of you. Sometimes God gets sick and tired of the same old issues cycling through your life year after year after year after year. The same old areas of lack of productivity and being unproductive and just failing and falling and failing and falling. Sometimes God gets tired. And in the text, he got tired. <laughs> Cut it down. I don't have to do this. I don't have to waste my time with this. This is silly. Just cut it down. But the keeper the keeper starts arguing with the master. He answered him and he said, uh, Master, sir, leave it alone. Let me dig around it. Hallelujah. Let me fertilize it. Let me try something on it. Let, let, let me take it a step further. Let me take all my attention and my labor and my focus. And, sir, let me work a little harder on it. And, and if, it, if it bears fruit for you next year, great. If not, if not, you can cut it down couple little hidden things in there. Number one, the keeper takes full responsibility on himself for the failure of the tree to produce. It's not the keeper's fault. This is a bad tree. And yet the keeper says, you know what? He steps in front of the master's anger and he says, you know what? Let, let me try a little harder on it. You've been watering this tree, feeding this tree, tending this tree, trimming this tree, taking care of this tree for three years. I know, I know, but, but let me try a little harder this next year. The next thing the keeper is doing is he's putting his own reputation and his job and his position on the line. 
It's a very small little hidden thing in the text. You have to peer and search hard like a voyeur looking through lattice to be able to get a glimpse of it. But the keeper is really saying, if you look at it in verse in verse 8, look at it. He said, he said, leave it alone until I dig around it, until I fertilize it. Verse 9, and then you, you may be able to see it in the text. Yeah, if they can put it up there, you may be able to see it in the text. In Luke 13, verse 9, he says, if it, if it produces fruit, then, then great. If it doesn't, after that, why did he... It started in verse 7, the master said to the keeper, you cut it down. Now, the keeper says back to the master, if I can't get it right in a year, you can cut it down. And the hidden inference there is, if I can't get this tree to be fruitful, I'll resign. You can have my job. I won't be here to cut it down because I'll quit. If the tree fails, I failed, I'll quit. And you can cut it down. The keeper there in this parable Jesus told, it's as descriptive and detailed of a New Testament account of intercession that we have. The New Testament doesn't offer us, and I scanned it, trust me. The New Testament doesn't offer us a more detailed account of what true intercession looks like other than this. But we do have an example that's a little bit more in depth in the Old Testament, and it's in Exodus chapter 32. <clears throat> Go there with me. In Exodus 32, God has been good to Israel. He's delivered them from Egyptian bondage. He's fed them with manna every morning. He calls quail to blow in every evening. He calls water to come out of a rock. He's fought for them. He's established them as a people. He has blessed them. And to this point, he's not given them any commandments concerning himself, except one. All I want you to do is have no other gods before me. Right? I'll break your slavery to the Egyptians. I'll split the Red Sea. I'll lead you over on dry shod. I'll bless you with favor and let you go borrow the gold of the Egyptians that you never have to pay back because they're going to drown in the Red Sea. I will elevate you and strengthen you. I will favor you. I will cause you to be something that you weren't before. Oh, I'm asking of you. Don't, don't make an idol or anything like that. Don't bow down to some little false god and, and call that god. Just, just don't have any other gods, any other idols before me. They get, they get 50 days from the, the Passover. 50 days from crossing the Red Sea. 50 days. Not even two months. And Moses goes up to the mountain to pray. And on his way back down, the people have taken off the gold that God gave them the favor to go get from the Egyptians. And they threw it in the fire and they molded it into a golden calf, a golden cow. They stripped all their clothes off and they're bowing down to this golden cow saying, you are the God that led us out of Egypt. It's like, they were looking for the one thing he told them not to do. 
you know? And we'll just go and do that. What, what, what should we do? I don't know. What's the one thing God just told us not to do? Oh, let's do that. And when God sees it, I don't know why you're laughing. Some of you do the same thing. And when, and when God sees it, when he sees it, he's done so much for them, you know. Sent 10 plagues, turned Egypt as a nation upside down. Did everything he could with a strong arm and an outstretched hand. He delivered him. God's invested himself into them. And the first thing they do when they get by themselves is the one thing he told them. So God looks at Moses. Says, you know what? I'm going to kill them all. You say, oh, that's so harsh. Why? Why is it so harsh? He says, I'm going to kill them all. God, God essentially looks at him and says, you know what? That's a bad tree. It's a bad tree. What do you do with a bad tree? Cut it down. Cut your losses. Start over with something better. Cut it down. He says, Moses, get down. Stand back. Get out of the way. I'm about to set holy fire to all these people and consume them and their ashes and make, make the world forget these people were ever here. And God was right. I don't know why your face is. It shocks me that you can't grasp the concept this morning that God was right. I mean, you must be so ignorant and so unaware of your own wickedness like God wouldn't be justified to just blast you off the face of the earth. He says, it's just it's a bad tree. Cut it down. Stand back, Mo Moses. Stand back. I'm getting ready to smoke them. He said, I'm sick of them. He said, they're stiff-necked. I love the conversation because it shows it's a rare glimpse into the mood and emotions of God. It lets you know God does have some bad days because of you. Oh, yes. Everything, everything. It's not like something's going wrong with Jupiter. Jupiter's doing what it's supposed to do. If God has a bad day, it's because of your crazy, stiff-necked, stubborn Get out of my way. I'm going to kill him. He says that in verse 10. In verse 14, the Bible says that God relented of his anger. In other words, he, he backed up. In other words, God said, okay. Okay. He just, he just let it go. Now, what happens in these four verses between verse 10 and verse 14? Moses is going to serve as an Old Testament reflection of an eternal Jesus. 
Why do I say an Old Testament reflection of an eternal Jesus? You couldn't correctly say an Old Testament reflection of a New Testament Jesus because the Old Testament came before the New. But if he is an eternal Jesus, if he is the word in the beginning, if he was before we ever were, if it was he that was used to create the world and all of the things in it, then we can have someone in the Old Testament reflecting an eternal Jesus. Moses in four verses goes into deep intercession. Okay. And intercession is powerful because <clears throat> only one thing in the Bible has ever been able to make God change his mind. I knew y'all weren't ready for introspective Jason today. Just chalk it up to the week I had. But, but if you want to think, if you want to get out of church mode for just a minute and just think, the God who knows the end from the beginning, whose will is set within himself and who is altogether perfect and cannot lie and cannot be unjust. Once he establishes a will, it's the right will. It's a good will. It's an orderly will. It's a perfect will. But the thought that that God would allow his will to be changed. By the mere musings of a mortal man is amazing. And intercession is the only thing in the scripture that ever made God change his mind. And you know, <clears throat> so comforted because uh, just I'm glad he. I'm glad his mind could be changed. <clears throat> you ain't with me, and it's okay. Not yet, you ain't. I, I, I'm glad his mind can be changed because there's some scriptures that aren't good news for me. <clears throat> be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. And that's convenient when you're taking up an offering, but he wasn't just talking about that. He's saying, be careful what you put out into the world, because I'm going to make sure that whatever you put out into the world comes back up in your own crown and in your own life. And I don't know about you, but I've put some stuff out in the world I don't want to ever see again. I've put some stuff out in the world I don't want my children to see again. I've put some stuff out in the world that I hope I don't reap. I've sowed some bad seeds. Is there anybody in the building that's ever sown some bad seeds and you hope and pray to God that you never reap that harvest? 
So I'm glad his mind can be changed because, because that means if there's an intercessor that'll go to him on my behalf, even though his word said I'm going to reap it, even though it's just for me to reap it, even though it's right for me to reap it, even though I deserve to reap it, what would your life look like if God gave you exactly what you really did deserve? How would your children be? How would your family be? How would your finances be? How would your health be all that stuff you spent all those years injecting into your body drinking into your body smoking into your body what would it look like if you got what you really and so I'm glad that that there's this principle in scripture that that an intercessor can go to God when you deserve to be cut down. Say, hold on. Wait, 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 wait a minute. Hold, hold on. Hold, hold. Wait, wait, wait a minute. Hold, hold on. Just, just, just wait a minute. I, I know it's a bad tree. I know I'm a bad tree. I, I know he's a bad tree. Just say, oh, 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 hold on, hold, hold on, hold on. He's your tree. You have a right to cut him down, but just hold on a minute. Just, just wait, wait a minute. You're holy enough to be this angry. You're righteous enough to be this angry. Your principles and your laws were broken. You should release judgment. Just, just, but just hold. In the Mishnah, when you read it, these four verses of Moses' speech were said through his tears on his face. And the Mishnah records that he cried so much that he made a puddle of mud where he was laying. So we're going to read this. But as we read this, you got to see the most powerful prophet in the Old Testament, the one who Jesus said was the greatest in the Old Testament. You got to see him on his face, mud all over him, mud in his mouth, mud on his tongue, the grit of dirt in his teeth while he's screaming these things to God. Point number one. Intercession forces God to recognize that we're still his people. <laughs> oh, baby, I told you they weren't ready for me today. Intercession forces God, God the judge, incidentally, to recognize that we are still his people. Because God tried to get out of it in verse 7. Look at Exodus 32, verse 7. Look at what God said to Moses. Exodus 32, verse 7. God tried to get out of them. God tried to, to disown them. God tried to act like they weren't his. The Lord said to Moses, go, get out. For your people. Whom you brought out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. Verse 11, Moses puts it right back on God. Look at Moses in verse 11. Look at this intercessor. Look at Moses pleaded with the Lord his God and said, Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against? Through the 
intercession, he was forcing God to recognize, hey, those your people. I was minding my own business in Midian keeping sheep. When you showed up in a burning bush talking to me and you told me, go tell Pharaoh, I said, let my people go. God, don't you put that on me. Those are your people. They're your broken people. They're your messed up people. They may be a bad tree, but they are your tree. Those are your people. And I'm glad that there's an intercessor that will go into God's ear when I've been acting crazy, when I've been acting a fool, when I deserve judgment. I'm glad there's an intercessor that'll go in and say, well, he may be a mess, but he's still yours. He may be sinful, but he's still yours. He may be broken, but he's still yours. He may be beside himself, but he's still. Somebody holler, I still belong to God. Somebody broken, somebody guilty, somebody messed up. I need all the bad trees in the room to throw your hands up and say, I still belong. And in heaven this morning, no matter what you did last night, there's an intercessor named Jesus doing a secret work and you hadn't thanked him for it. You hadn't praised him for it. You hadn't glorified him for it. But one thing he reminded the father this morning is they're still your people. They're still your children. They still, God, you better recognize you are the father. They are still Number two, intercession is sacrificial. Did you notice what, Mo, what God said to Moses in verse, in verse 10? I'm going to kill them all, and I'll start over with you, and I'll make you a great nation. We don't have to scrap the whole plan, Mo. Since you're the only one that gets it, since you're the only tree with any fruit on it, in this whole bunch, let me just kill all them real quick. And I'll start over with you because Mo, I'm telling you, Mo, a bad tree is always ever going to be. A bad tree. Mo! Let's start over. And Moses sacrifices the opportunity to become great himself. Moses could have been Abraham 2.0. Moses could have just, he could have just started it over with God. But, but Moses is in the mud screaming, no, don't start over with me. 
destroy them. No, have mercy on them. And I wonder, I wonder in my mind, why? If you read Moses' story, it doesn't end well. He's crying, begging God not to kill the people that are talking about stoning him. And I love you, and I'll pray for you unless you threaten to kill me. Is that too honest? A few years ago, a few years ago, we went to a men's retreat, and there was this guy. He was high on PCP or something, and he came, and he got on the bus, and he came to the men's retreat with us, and, uh, and he's, my, dad, my dad was up preaching to the men, and this guy got up and said, I'm going to shoot you in your head, bishop. And, uh, you know, seven or, by the time seven or eight guys got off of him, they, they drove him back to San Antonio. But, but a few years later, he came back, and he said, I'm man, my life has changed. You know, I'm clean and I'm sober and things are going so great. And I, I'd, I'd, I'd love to come to church. And I said, nope. <laughs> There's a lot of churches in San Antonio. You can go and get Jesus, but you can say you go kill my daddy one, one time and you have to go get Jesus somewhere else. going to stone Moses when Moses got back. They wanted to kill him. And yet he's praying that God will spare the people. He's rejecting the opportunity for God to make him the new Abraham. And also, if you read his story, you'll find out that these people, these people were so stubborn, stiff-necked, and hard to deal with that they ended up driving Moses into a rage where he ended up disobeying God and he didn't get to go into the promised land. He's praying that God will spare the people that will ultimately rob him of his promise. Because intercession is always sacrificial. It's this is too deep, but it's a theological quandary reading this because you're seeing God on such a human level arguing with Moses. You're seeing God in a fit of rage, you know, and you wonder, did God know this about himself? That if he was going to lead these people and be their God, that sometimes they would make him so angry he would want to kill them and be justified in killing them because they were so guilty. And as a result, he picked the one person who could come to him in prayer and intercession and talk him out of it to lead them. Intercession is always sacrificial. Number three, intercession always asks for pardon. <clears throat> when you're interceding, you're talking about intercession. There's one common thread. There's one common prayer that's always prayed. Intercession always asks for pardon. 
So to all of you quote unquote intercessors that pray judgment over people, you're not an intercessor. Because intercession always, whatever you pray about, always included in the prayer is a prayer that God will pardon and have mercy. It is the nature of intercession to beg and cry and plead for pardon. When you're interceding for somebody, you're crying because they should be crying. You're repenting because they should be repenting. You're praying because they should be praying. You're doing what they should be doing and you're doing it for them. You're begging for pardon because they should be begging for pardon. Intercession always asks for for pardon. Verse 12, he says, God, if you kill him, watch, watch Mo. If you don't think about this stuff, there's only so deep you can go in the word and in your knowledge. Just watch Moses gas God up. You ever, you ever seen somebody gas somebody else up? You know, you know what I'm talking about? I hope that's not too colloquial of vernacular to use. Like, you know, somebody that maybe they were about to get in a fight or something, but things were still kind of cool. Maybe they were on a level three, but by the time this other person gets out of their ear, they're on a level 10. They're ready to go. Moses starts gassing God up, though, but, but in reverse. He said, God, uh, well, you can kill him, but uh, what will the enemy say? know what the irony is? They learned to make golden cows and bow down and worship them from the Egyptians. That was Egyptian culture and worship. So now Moses is using the people who they got the bad dealing and living from. He's using them to juxtapose against God and say, yeah, but God, if you kill these people, what would the enemy say? They, they, they would say that you led them all the way out here to the mountains just to kill them. God that, God, that would make you look bad. That'd be a blight on your reputation to open up the Red Sea and lead them out and rain down manna and blow in quail and cause water to come out of a rock and make bitter water sweet. Do all the things you did. It would make you look bad, God. It'd be a blight on your name. Basically, what he's saying is, God, if you don't have any other reason to have mercy, have mercy on them for your own name's sake. That's why. That's why. I, I, I'm glad we're non-denominational right now, but I appreciate certain things about the denomination we came out of years ago. Certain things are just totally jacked up, tore up from the floor, just messed up mess. But, but, but one of the things they put in me that I, I appreciate is a love for the name of Jesus, an understanding of the name of Jesus, an appreciation specifically for the name of Jesus, because because sometimes God will save you simply for his own name's sake. Sometimes there ain't nothing worth saving in that bad tree except the tree does love the name. Tree ain't got no fruit. Tree ain't got no righteousness. Tree ain't got nothing good about it. But it does love the name. Sometimes God will leave a bad tree standing just because it loves his. Psalm 119, 132. Psalm 119, 132. 
because you can't make a statement without putting scripture to back that up. Look upon me and be merciful to me as your custom is. Oh, you ain't reading this Bible. You ain't with this preacher. It's only 1143. I'm almost done. Look upon me and be merciful to me as your custom is toward those who love your name. If you don't get nothing else out of church, get a love for the name. If you don't get nothing else else out of my preaching, get a love for the name of Jesus. Because sometimes God will spare you just because you love the name. Just because you love the name. Point number four, intercession reminds God of his promise. It reminds God of his promise. He said, what about everything you said to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? These are their descendants. If you kill them, then the promise that you made their ancestors is null and void. If you kill these people, then the promise you made to the one that was righteous, Abraham, to the one that was good, to, to the one that was a fruitful tree. If you kill his descendants, you're injuring the promise you made to him. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, yeah. If you, if you kill the offspring, you've injured the shoot. If you cut off the branch, you've injured the root. He that is in Christ. Flew over 98% of the congregation. So he says, you can't, you can't do that. Remember your promise. Listen, when you get far from God, when you're just a real bad tree and you don't know what to do about it, Start throwing God's promise back at him. <laughs> Start throwing God's word back at him. Because it, when you realize as a Christian that you are in Jesus Christ, <laughs> then to cut you would be to cut Jesus and God will never do that when you realize that on your worst day you are the righteousness of God by faith in Jesus Christ when the voices of condemnation come and sometimes it's not even condemnation it's just a reminder of the mess you've been doing say back to those things say back to yourself say back out loud and say back to God that you know who you are in Jesus Christ He's saying you can't kill, you can't kill these because they're in Abraham. That's why you ain't dead yet. Because you in Jesus. But it takes, but when God gets real mad, you know, it takes the intercessor to remind him. Did you know that about God? He has to be reminded. Not because he forgets. He just has to be reminded to keep it fresh, you know. Because sometimes our lifestyle come up as a stench in his nostrils. And so he told the prophet Isaiah, he said, put me in remembrance. Let us plead together. Argue your case before me. 
When you get far from God, you feel like hell is about to pull you all the way into its clutches. Start speaking God's promise back to him. That's all Moses, the intercessor, is doing. He's just speaking God's promise back, back to him. There's four things, you know, it's intercession. All these deep intercessor books. buy the books. You got the summary today. Just You're welcome. Intercession forces God to recognize you're still his people. Uh, not yet. It forces God to recognize you're still his people. Intercession is always sacrificial. Intercession always asks, no matter what else it asks for, it always asks for pardon. Number four, it reminds God of his promise. And after those four things, the God that spoke the earth into being, the God who Job said spit out the seven seas and whose feet hollowed out the mountain. That God changed his mind. If the intercession of Moses was so effective that it was able to make God change his mind, how much more will the intercession of Jesus Christ cause the grace and the mercy of God to abound toward even an unfruitful tree? Romans 5, 9 through 11. Romans chapter 5. 9 through 11 says what I just said, but says it a lot prettier. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. He's still saving me. Did you see it in the text? Do you see it? He said, we've been saved by his death. But much more, we shall be saved. Why? Because he ever lives to make. Now it was my goal. I just wanted one. week I've had, mood I'm in. I just wanted one. I just wanted one to look 
reality. This often ignored, somewhat obscure, hidden facet of the character of the lover of our soul. And I thought to myself, if I could look at my wife during a hard week and notice something I hadn't seen, I thought we could look at our Savior and maybe notice something we hadn't seen. That for all the bad trees, the keeper <laughs> the keeper saying, "Give me one more year." And when the master comes with the axe at the end of that year, the keeper will say again. about it and I started wondering Jesus how many times have you said to the judgment of the father wait just just give Jason one more year <laughs> can you see it yet do, 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 do you see it isn't it beautiful isn't it lovely isn't it marvelous isn't it wonderful doesn't it reveal just majesty of Jesus that he didn't stop working on my behalf at the cross he's still saving me still saving you still going to, to bat for you still holding off the judgment of God still saying no 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 go still just and you may have said thank you for a lot of things this week thank you for this food and thank you for this house and, and thank you for our family and thank you for our money and thank you for our job and thank you for our kids but I tell you how I started thank you for being my intercessor thank you for going in and speaking for me thank you for repenting when I should have been at the altar thank you for crying when I should have been weeping and lamenting over my sin thank you to the innocent I wish I could get five people maybe maybe five people would, in every section would just stand up and, and raise up their hands and think about all he's done for you and tell the intercessor thank you oh we thank you The intercessor. Yeah. 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 The intercessor. And if you think about it, you might just want to say to yourself,
so Can't you see your everything that I've hoped for? You are everything I need. You are so Falling in love with Jesus. Falling in love with Jesus. Oh, yeah. Falling in love with Jesus. the best thing. You lift your hands all over the house. If you know this little song, would you help us say falling? of your understanding being enlightened that you may know what is the hope of his calling what is the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe that in your mind's eye and in your soul's sphere you would have caught and captured a new visualization a new paradigm of just how much he loves you and how much he does for you. Not just what he did at Calvary, but what he did this morning on your behalf. Glory to Jesus, our intercessor. Praise be to Jesus, our intercessor. Hallelujah to Jesus, our intercessor. Oh, most holy Jesus, our intercessor. I wish I could get somebody to praise with me just for two seconds, just for two seconds. Praise be to the intercessor. Glory to the intercessor. Hallelujah to the intercessor. Do you have your phone? Do you have your phone? There's four people in our family. I want to give $400. I just want to give a $400 offering to my intercessor. He don't need it. He didn't ask for it. I just want to give it. I just want to give my intercessor an offering today. I just love you, Jesus. I worship and adore you. Thank you for all the stuff. Thank you for all the stuff you pulled me out of. Thank you for all the times I deserve judgment. You, you said, no, 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 give me. Give me one more year to work on it. Thanks for working with me. Thanks, God, for working with me. Thank you, Jesus, for working with me. 
It's, there's a few, few of you like me, you just want to give your intercessor an offering, this special offering. Just, just give him something. Just give him something. You can do it right now. You can get an envelope. You can get your phone. I just want to give him something. I want to give him something. If you don't want to, you don't have to. It's fine. But there's a few of us. We just start thinking about how good he's been to us, how kind he's been to us, how merciful he's been to us, how, how we've been a bad tree, but the, the intercessor the intercessor he he kept working he kept he kept working if people knew the half of it they would have cut you down years ago but the intercessor I said if people knew the half of it and you've never told them because if they knew the half of it they'd have cut you down years ago but but the intercessor he he just kept he just kept working just kept working you can bring it when you have it He's watching. He sees it. Hebrews says that when we bring it to him in the church, he receives it in heaven. This is an offering. This ain't for the church. This is for Jesus. It's just we're doing it for Jesus. We're doing it for Jesus. We ain't trying to pay a bill. Ain't no building fund right now. Everything's paid for. This is for Jesus. This ain't for no programs. This ain't to feed the hungry or help, uh, you know, poor. This, this is for Jesus. This is for Jesus. This one's for Jesus. This one's for Jesus. This one right here, this one's for Jesus. This one's for Jesus. With Jesus falling in love. Jesus falling in love. Jesus was the best thing. I love you, Christian world.